great. Amen. Let's stand up one more time if we can. And uh, while you're standing, I do want to say, and I know you think it's just the natural protocol to do stuff like this, but um, this is from the deep place and uh, you're just going to have to get used to it. Um, the conditions of this house, of this, that video, all of this, by the way, 13,000 views in less than a day. There's 200 chairs, but 13,000 people. But that is crazy traffic on social media for that video. So everybody share it on your phones, uh, whatever it is. Get that, get that song out. I think it's going to be a song that is sung all over the world. Um, it, is, it is that powerful. But it's not just that that thing just happened just because. It's because of conditions. Leadership is about creating conditions. We talk a lot about changing culture. You can't change culture until you change the conditions or create the right conditions and atmosphere of a place. And you see, you're seeing the culmination of over 30 years of spiritual leadership um, upon this campus uh, uh, under the leadership of uh, Dr. Gordon Anderson, many of those years as president. And I just want to say publicly again, I don't know how many settings we will have left like this. We have, of course, graduation, but can we thank this wonderful leader who has created the conditions for all of this? All righty, before you sit down, don't sit down yet. I believe people talk about three things the rest of their life. They talk about their hometown, uh, they talk about their home church, and they talk about their alma mater. Um, and so we get to be a part of your story for the rest of your life by becoming your alma mater. People talk about it, they're proud of it, and I just want you to think about somebody, I shared this with the new students uh, yesterday that are the prospective students. Um, when I was a freshman at Bethany University, I had such a profound uh, impact on my life that freshman year that I thought about one of my friends back in my hometown named Bobby Johnson. And I remember I went to a payphone and they had to put a, a quarter in uh, to the payphone. And I called Bobby Johnson back in Redding, California. And I said, Bobby, he was at a junior college. I said, you got to come to Bethany. It's changing my life. It's a great atmosphere. The call probably was less than a minute uh, in length. And that 60 seconds of simply inviting one friend from my hometown to come to college with me changed the trajectory of Bob's life. And so I just want to encourage you to be praying and thinking about one friend from your hometown that you can call to your home church, that you can say, hey, I was at this thing or I've been going to this school. You're on my heart. I wanted to reach out to you and call you and see if you had any interest in being a part of this university. Just give it 60 seconds. You'll be shocked. It could change the trajectory of somebody's, somebody's life. So let's pray here together and get ready for the word. Lord, we love you today, God. We are so thankful for the atmosphere, Lord, that we feel in this room, Lord. Lord, you cannot manufacture this, Lord. You can't spend money just to create it, God. It is passionate, it is spiritual, it's mystical, it's God-breathed, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, for this house, Lord. Lord, as we become uh, uh, brilliant and better at what we do, Lord, in our minds, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would keep our hearts twice the size of our brains, God. And that, Father, we would consciously tell our minds to serve our hearts, God. And Father, I pray that some of the greatest entrepreneurs, business leaders, Lord, that you would raise up voices, Lord, for the kingdom as pastors, leaders, God, in every imaginable way, God, 
And Lord, even we know that students come here, Lord, thinking they're about to do one thing in life and you speak to them and they come as a business major and end up as a pastor. They come as a pastor and end up as a business major, Lord. I've seen it my whole life. Thank you for this incubator, Lord, this accelerator, Lord, of lives, God. Thank you for this place to experiment in a safe place, God, during these vital years, Lord, where we are trying to hear your voice and do your will, God, in our life. And Lord, we just pray the greatest days, Lord, ahead. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So when I got introduced here a couple months ago, or about a month and a half ago, I showed you a picture of my kids. I want to show you another picture real quick of my children. Uh, so those are my four kids up there. So they're all kind of squeezed in. That was like maybe the first selfie in the history of the world there. This was a couple years ago. That was Spencer over here uh, to your left. He's my youngest. Um, it kind of goes the boy's youngest. Uh, he's the biggest. He's 6'5". How many are the youngest in your family, but you're the biggest? Uh, that kind of tends to happen. We just get bigger as we get younger, uh, the more kids we have. He's 6'5". I told my wife, if we have, I've done the math. If we have three more, we'll hit seven foot. Uh, um, if we have three more kids. So Spencer, uh, he's married to a beautiful girl, Brianna Collins. They have a little baby. He played football at Cal, coached football at Cal. Uh, played tight end and uh, great, great young man, loves the Lord. Then Kramer, uh, he's dating and getting close to being engaged now, so that's a good thing. He's 20, 27, and uh, he has got two master's degrees. Spencer has a master's degree and an undergrad from Cal. Um, uh, Kramer has a couple master's degrees, two of them from Liberty University. That beautiful one in front, uh, that's, we call her the Holy Spirit. She was the oldest, and so she uh, guided the lives of her, of her three brothers right there. And uh, that's Jocelyn, a graduate of North Central University with her business major. This is her alma mater. She lives, breathes, and talks about this place all the time. And uh, she lives in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She married a guy from Brazil. Um, that's another story. And uh, then we have... Tyler, right to my right, he's my oldest son. He's married to Nicole Medina. She's a beautiful young lady uh, of, of Mexican and, and uh, uh, Chilean descent. And uh, they have two little babies. Uh, they gave us Elias and little baby Gemma was born a couple weeks ago. Spencer has little Spencer Jr. And then Jocelyn is pregnant. We just found out with another little girl, which is great because we had like 30 years of boys. Once we had Jocelyn, then we had three boys, two male grandsons, and all of our dogs have been, have been male. So like we had 30 years of nothing but boys, and now we find you're getting some girls back in the family with baby Gemma, and then Jocelyn's gonna have a little, little baby girl. But you know, people look at my kids and they go, oh, that must have been easy. I love what uh, Professor Burrell uh, said earlier this week. You don't know people's stories. And I really believe that what we've gone through is to help those now going through. Moses got to the other side of the wilderness the Lord met him there, and I'm certain it's not in the Bible, but I'm sure there was a conversation. Great to see you, Moses, on the other side of the wilderness. Take a deep breath, get married, have, have a kid, a couple kids, and I need you to do something. I need you to go back to the back of the line and do it again, because I need you to go across the same dirt twice. The first time you go across, you really find the Lord in your life, in your wilderness, but, but he asks you to walk across that same dirt twice the second time as a leader. So no matter where you've come from or whatever you have gone through, it's to help those now going through. So we love to see potential in the outcast. I, I moved 27 times by the time I was 16. Uh, our family, we actually had to live in a car one time, and we live with family and friends. And my mom and dad, they worked hard, but it was, it was a pretty chaotic life. 
And so by the time I was 16, I didn't have any academic skills. I didn't really think in terms of scholarship. And I was headed to college. I just wanted to play basketball. And so I ended up at a school as a very poor student and had uh, five people pour into my life that changed the trajectory of my entire life. A basketball coach, uh, a Bible teacher named Norm Arneson the campus pastor named Paul Bruton, the dean of students, Gary Brugman, and the president of that university, Dick Foth. Uh, those individuals, I carry their molecules inside my life because between 18 and 22, they changed, they saved my life. They just didn't kind of help me. They saved my life. And so we sometimes look at somebody's life like that and you're thinking, hey, you're the president of a university and it must have been a kind of a straight linear experience for you. Nothing could be further from the truth. What God has done in my life and through uh, the people who've invested in my life is second to none. Because, you know, this is what I look like. This was pre-college days, but I love this picture. I've only got a couple of these in my life. That's me uh, when I was about five. Uh, with, look at that dorky hairdo. But I love it. It's a spiritual picture. If you're prophetic, you see the spirituality of that. You see the barefoot Moses right there. Then, of course, authority over the serpent right there. Who, I, mean, I mean, I got both things going on, spiritual authority over the snake and, uh, and my, my feet that are bare. So I told my, my kids, when they were in the deciding window of their life, when they're making the first few decisions, because if you make miscalculated, misguided, uh, very self-centered decisions between 18 and 22, you still pay the price for those in your 30s and 40s. I deal with people all the time that are still picking up the pieces from what happened between 18 and 22. But when you're able to make guided, well-grounded, well-surrounded decisions between 18 and 22, I see people walking in the fruitfulness and the momentum of their life when they hit about 30 to 40. And so this window is critical. I told my, my, my kids this very simple little parable. I said, whenever you have an opportunity, it's like two doors that are in front of you. The first door, you look through the first door and you go, okay, I can make that great. Because you kind of look at the opportunity and say, I'm already there. I've already achieved. Uh, the opportunity isn't really what I want, but if it's all I got, then I'll go through that door and I'll make it great. Because I'm already bringing to the party the capacity to succeed. But when you look through the other door of that other opportunity, it has a different effect on you. You don't say, I can make that great. When you look through that door to succeed, you say to yourself, I must become great. I don't mean famous, but I must become more. The only way I can succeed through this door is to be transformed into something new and the fullness of what God made me to be. Now, I was a big-time high school basketball player, and I was headed to a big college, Seattle Pacific or Wheaton University, to play basketball. And so I already had that down. That was my competency. I, I, I knew I could do that. I could lend that. But becoming a leader in life and becoming a father to change the brand of our family, the family brand of what a, a man was in our, in our home, to do all of that, this other door of going to this other college, and I actually made my decision to go to college seven days before I was leaving for another college. It was a last-minute decision where God just kind of pushed me in this direction, and it changed my life to end up at Bethany. But through that door, I knew I must become great, become more to succeed. Never take the first door. Don't look through that door and say, I already bring to the table who I already am, and I can make that great. 
I must go through this door. It will force me to become something more than I have ever been in my life. You have to choose the second door. Bigger risk, uh, but the rewards and the growth are unimaginable, you, uh, friends. Okay, I got a couple of things. We got to uh, go through several scriptures here. Um, I basically have seen, if we put the next slide up there, I basically have seen everybody in their own way is trying, trying to wrestle through or figure out the relationship between these three pairs of words. Everywhere I go, business, colleges, churches, everybody today is trying to figure out the relationship between these three pairs of words. The incremental and the quantum, they're trying to figure out the relationship between the substance and the shadow, and they're trying to figure out the relationship between adventure and contentment. Let me break these down real quick. Put the, put the next slide real fast. What is the relationship between the uh, incremental and the quantum? John chapter 6, verse 18 says, The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed out about three to four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, uh, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. So they were out three to four miles, Jesus gets in the boat, and suddenly they took a quantum leap. Everybody today is looking for the quantum experience. How can I get from point A to point B as fast as possible in my life? Matter of fact, how can I skip B and just get to whatever the destination is? We see enough stories in the Bible about quantum leaps. This is one of them. That boat somehow went three to four miles immediately. Here's another quantum leap in the Bible. Next verse. Acts chapter 8, it says, And Philip ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. Uh, when I was a little kid, I thought eunuch, eunuch was the twin brother of Enoch. Uh, I didn't know what it was. Then I went to college and found out what a eunuch is, and I was thankful to God I wasn't related to, to him. Okay, so... Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and then the eunuch no longer saw him, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he, was pa and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Most scholars believe this is 26 miles from the baptismal tank. So this is a quantum leap. Philip came up out of the water, blinked once, and was 26 miles down the road. So we see examples of God doing quantum leaps. So it's like, hey, if I show up my first day of school as a freshman, go to my first class, walk out of the class, walk through the door, and I'm in my cap and gown in graduation. Now, that's not going to happen. I don't think God's going to give you that kind of quantum leap. But we see enough in the Bible to make us enticed with the idea of getting places fast and furious in life. When really God blesses the faithfulness of the incremental with the quantum. But if you don't take the incremental steps in your life spiritually, uh, the quantum never comes. And I see so many just disenfranchised, disorientated hearts because they're always trying to get to some place as fast as possible. 
There's a constant conflict between seed and speed. Here's another thing that I see attention. Secondly, the relationship, um, or here, here in Luke 16 it says, and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So that is the call to faithfulness in the incremental so God can bless you one day in the quantum. Here's, here's a second tension I just want to highlight. It's the relationship between the substance and the shadow. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Isn't it fascinating in this culture that that deception only comes in the form of a similarity, not a contrast. That's why it's deceptive. Deception comes in the form of similarities. When I read the book of Genesis and I see this tree of life that they were freely allowed to eat from, and next to it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I sometimes say, Lord, why didn't you just give it a different name? Why didn't you just call it the devil's tree? Why did you have to give it some good publicity, knowledge, good? Why did you have to make it so similar? Why is the shadow so similar to the substance? And I really believe that's what we are cultivating in this setting is a discernment in your life between the substance and the shadow. Because we freely eat from the shadow thinking its substance. I wish the trees were like, okay, here's the, the Jesus tree, and now we're going to go on a long journey and look at the devil tree so that there's space. I bet you could see them without even moving your neck. Substance and shadow were side by side, and that's the way this culture is going to present information, knowledge, and truth, and lie. It's going to be side by side. There's going to be similarities to it. And if you don't develop the discernment of the kingdom of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to be bouncing back and forth between the substance and the shadow. And ultimately, the shadow is going to bring death to your life. I think we're all trying to figure that out. How in hopes, Lord, of a quantum leap in my life can I be faithful to the incremental? And how, Lord, in my life can I understand and discern the difference between the substance and the shadow that is side by side? Here's the last one that I see a tension in this generation. It's the tension between adventure and contentment. It's a powerful verse. I learned this verse from a Jewish rabbi. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 18. Jacob is blessing all of his, the tribes and the sons and all their offspring. This is the only time Jacob pairs two of the, of the tribes as one. He says, O Zebulun, he said, rejoice in your going forth and Issachar in your tents. They will call the people to the mountain. They, they uh, Zebulun and Issachar as a pair, they will call the people to the mountain. There they will offer righteousness, uh, righteous sacrifices for they will draw out of the abundance of the seas and the his, hidden treasures of the land. I believe there is a powerful relationship between uh, risk and pattern that we see in Scripture. The greatest thing about 18 to 22 in my life is somebody began to explain to me, and I began to understand that I didn't have to choose between adventure and contentment. I did not have to choose between a life that is, has a pattern to it and a life that had tremendous risk, faith, and adventure. 
The Bible says that Zebulun was known for his going forth, Issachar for his tents. One was known for the sea, one was known for the shore. And I think we put each other in two camps. I'm kind of a crazy adventure, dreamer, risk person. Well, I'm more of a stability, you know, put it on paper, where's the receipt? Uh, I'm more of the tent person. I'm into predictability. I'm into absolute adventure and risk and uncertainty. The Bible says when those blended together, there was something so potent about Jacob's blessing upon these two tribes. It says they are going to have a unique influence and a unique impact to draw people to the abundance of the seas and the treasure of the sand. I really believe that's what this setting is all about. Giving you competency in both adventure and contentment. Understanding the value of patterns, predictability, cadence, schedule, structure in your life, but birthing and cultivating and planting in your heart dreams that cannot be contained by anybody's negativity Uh, lack of resources, somebody's done it before, it didn't work, all of those things, nothing can contain the seed of the sea that is inside of you. But if you don't learn the power of the tent, the stability, and all you are is about risk and adventure and vision, your vision's going to implode. And if all you are is about patterns and predictability and you look with suspicion upon people that have great dreams and visions... You're going to live a very small, marginal life. It says they. So I'm praying for you that God would give you a great grace of adventure and contentment in your journey as a believer, as you're in whatever discipline or major that God has put into your heart, and that this setting would make it so powerfully clear to you about, Lord, here's how I'm going to live consistent, content, but adventurous for the kingdom. I'm praying that you would have discernment between the shadow and, and the substance. And I'm praying that you would understand the power of the incremental uh, as it precedes the quantum. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to tell you before the musicians come. And remember, all the young pastors in here, it's very important when you lead churches that you call for the piano player, the musicians, because when you do that, it gives the people hope <laughs> that you're about to shut up, okay? So always call, people just go, oh, I feel hope, hallelujah. I see movement. So just another couple moments here. I just want to challenge you as we wrap here um, to the level, to what I call the third level of faith and leadership. One of the most fascinating stories, see, he's already here, this is great, beautiful. Very simple, very quick. One of the most profound stories in the Bible is found in 2 Kings. And I just want to say this before I sit down. This has been a phenomenal week. The lacrosse game. Um, last night, the play was unbelievable. You got to go see the play about Ernest. I was on the edge of my seat going, I got to figure this out. And you can't believe how it all comes together. It is profound talent. Uh, Unbelievable gifts with theater. The lacrosse team was amazing uh, Tuesday night. What a great university. What a great place. It's 
It's one of the great stories in the Bible that changed my life. And I'll do this very fast because I want to be able to pray. We're going to have a time of prayer and fasting today. Is found in 2 Kings. We'll go past this slide. Um, found in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a simple story that spans about a chapter. And it talks about a woman who never had a baby. And one of God's favorite things was to give older ladies their first baby. That happened all through the Bible. And when the prophet Elisha says, hey, you want to have a baby? She says, no, I don't want a baby. I've learned to live with my broken heart. It's like a lot of people. They go, you know, uh, it's been a long time. I realize that's never going to happen in my life, and I'm cool with it. And so I just want to not have a baby. But he said, you're going to have a baby. And so she had a baby boy within the year. Somewhere in early, early adolescence, we don't know his age, old enough to be away from his mother's lap, not old enough for a full work day with his dad, but somewhere in that tweener stage, he's out there seeing his father, and he drops in the field and says, my head, my head. And he dies. The Bible says that they picked him up, and he was dead. The prophet who prophesied this and his assistant come back in the story, and she goes up to him and says, did I not tell you? I was cool with the fact that I had no baby. We all have things in our life that are not working out the way we thought. And we put them in a nice box and we love the Lord, but we can't figure that one out. So we just kind of box it, put it in the attic. And it's just this box that says, broken dreams, broken heart, never came to pass, didn't come true, didn't work out, but it's there. And then some prophetic person walks in and starts getting in that space. And you're going, hey, 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 I'm, I'm cool. And then it happens, and then the baby dies. Think about that crazy cycle. So the prophet Elijah sends his assistant Gehazi to go pray. And the Bible says he took the staff of Elijah, and he went over, and he touched the, the dead boy on the chest. Gehazi did this. Touched him, and the Bible says nothing happened, and he returned. That is level one leadership, and it's all over this nation. In every kind of discipline imaginable, from banks to churches to high tech, you pick it. Level one leadership is this. It's people who are merely going through the motions. This guy had no faith this, that, that the boy would be raised from the dead. He just simply went through the motions, prayed for him, re returned and said nothing happened. I don't know about you. I don't want written on my tombstone. There lay Scott Hagen. He prayed for a lot of people, did a lot of stuff, but actually nothing ever happened. I don't know why that's okay in the hearts of some. So the prophet hears about it. He runs there himself, and he doesn't take the staff, and he does one of the weirdest scenes in the Bible. Elisha goes into the room, and the Bible says he got down and he laid on the kid, torso to torso, face to face, and he prays. And the Bible says... The boy's body grew warm. He got up, and he's about to leave, and he's about to call the marginal the miracle. That's the second level of leadership. And it's easy to settle into level two leadership because we compare ourselves to somebody else. And he's saying, hey, listen, I got a little pulse, a little heartbeat, a little warmth, and at least it's not as cold as, as Gehazi's prayer. And as long as you compare yourself to someone else, you're going to lose your way. 
We're not comparing ourselves to somebody else's success. We're comparing ourselves to the potential that's unrealized that God put into my life. That's how I measure myself. Am I realizing the potential of my life, Lord? Not am I better than this person over here? So level two people get up and say, hey, at least, at least the corpse became a coma and that's cool, it's better than that. And they feel successful. But there are certain kinds of leaders in this world that they try to leave the room and they look back and they go, seriously? Lord, really, this is all we get? All we get to do in life is turn the corpse into a coma? It just said he was warm. And compared to Gehazi, this guy was a massive success. But compared to what God had put in his heart to become and to see happen on this earth, it was a far cry. So level three leaders, you know what they do? They go back and they lay and they stay and they pray. It says he does it again. Praise a second time on the kid. All of a sudden it says he opened his eyes and he sneezes seven times. The sound of life, the sound of resurrection. My prayer for North Central is that people would come here, they can be kind of as aimless and uncertain as I was at 17, 18, but they find their way. And then they, they say, Lord, I'm not gonna spend my life going through the motions. I'm not gonna call marginal things the purpose of my life, but I'm gonna lay and stay and pray until God, you do everything possible through my life. Here's the last photo I wanna show you and we're gonna pray. You guys can stand across the room here. I know you can't see it well. That little boy is five years old. Just hold that, hold that frame up there for a moment. I want you to see his eyes. He's dying. He's two hours from death. His name is Emmanuel. He's in a village in Zambia. We launched a clinic and an orphanage and a school and under the great leadership of Sam Sikapizie, a member of our staff who's from that nation, and this is Emmanuel last year. And I got the frantic call from Sam saying he's de Emmanuel's dead. He's going to die within 60 minutes. Dying of what? He said he's filled with gangrene. And I don't mean to be provocative or be a shock jock up here, but I want to show you something. I want to show you the power of being a level three leader. This is the full body shot. Next one. That's just him lying there. Emaciated the bottom half of his torso being eaten by gangrene. He said, Sam and the team from our church said the smell was something they've never smelled in their life of dying flesh, rotted flesh. This little boy is literally comatose with his eyes open. This is why he was about to die. Show the next picture. Just keep it up there for a moment. Sam called me, says... We gotta make a decision. We gotta, I gotta tell this father who's from the, uh, kind of a tribe and, and wasn't dialed into medicine and was letting the boy die and praying spirits and they have to amputate the legs. So we had to give Sam the go ahead and Sam had to tell the doctor, cut his legs off to save his life. I've never made that call, never had to participate in a conversation like that. So Emmanuel lost the majority of the lower half of his body to cut the disease away. 
because a level three leader named Sam Sikapizier was there. And this is Emmanuel seven days later. This is Emmanuel six months later. Show the next picture if you can. Not simply living life, able to do the homework, but a boy that was an hour from death because a level three leader found him. Now is lifting their hands saying, I have answers. I know we may not be as graphic as that when we step on this campus or at this stage of our life, but God is doing all of this same process in every one of us in this room. I just want to pray over you and this day and Vice President Graham's going to come in just a moment to lead us into a time of prayer and fasting. But can we just take a minute to ask Jesus for what we've just heard to be in us. Lord, I just ask today, God, a profound grace, Lord. Lord, when we're grinding, Lord, through the homework and the readings, God. And Lord, recently in my own life, doing my PhD, God, grinding at 3 a.m. in the morning, Lord. Give me, Lord, power in the incremental so that, Lord, you will bring the quantum to my life at the right season when I can handle it, God. When you take away miles and you take away time and you do miracles, Lord, that I never saw coming in a twinkle of an eye, God, it's because, Lord, you've walked with me and shown me how to walk with you, God, in the incremental steps, God. Give me Jesus and give us, Jesus, discernment between what is the substance and what is the shadow. God, help us to eat from the tree of life. Not be deceived, God, by the shadow, Lord. Give us discernment, Lord. Father, I pray that you would give a blend of contentment and adventure, Lord. The blessing of Zebulun, Lord, and Issachar, Lord. Father, let our lives, God, release abundance, Lord, all over this world, God. And Jesus, most of all, give me level three leadership, God. Don't let me go through the motions, God, in college. And Lord, don't let me settle for simply being a little bit better than the lowest common denominator near me. Father, I pray I would go back, lay, stay, and pray, God, until the sounds of resurrection and life, God, are heard everywhere, Lord. Father, let it mark our university, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus, for this powerful day. In your precious name, Doug, would you come?